rest of you can turn in your bulletin to our passage from Luke chapter 9 this morning. If not, uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn there. We're currently in a series uh, called Meals with Jesus, uh, where we're looking at Luke's gospel and we're keying in uh, on meals that Jesus ate with people. Um, a lot happened around the table with Jesus. Uh, we said last week that this was his primary ministry strategy, uh, sharing a meal with someone, uh, right? And that a meal with Jesus was never just a meal. There was always something more that was happening. And again, we're going to see this in Luke chapter 9 this morning. And as we turn there and prepare to listen to that text, um, I wonder when the last time was that you felt really needy. Uh, when you just you didn't have the resources within yourself to do what you needed to do or to get what you needed to get. It can be an incredibly helpless feeling. One example from our house a few years ago, uh, EK, my youngest, um, if she were to wake up in the morning earlier than Aaron and I, um, it would instantly mean that she needed us to help her. So um, we would have to bring her downstairs, get her breakfast, uh, get the cartoon going. If you watch cartoons in the morning, if you don't, that's fine. And we would have to manage the whole process, but it was clear that she needed us. And so there's just, as a parent, the sound of your kid's door opening when you're still in bed, it can sort of make you cringe a little bit. Because we knew it was time to get up, we were going to be needed. But now, she's this mature four and a half year old. And so we hear that door open now, and she often doesn't even come to our room first. She goes straight downstairs, totally dark on the first floor of our house. She'll open up the fridge, get her yogurt out of the fridge. She'll go down to the TV, turn on Disney+, Plus, get a cartoon going, get under the blanket, turn the lamp on. And so we'll come downstairs and my four-year-old is under a blanket watching TV, drinking her yogurt. She does not need us. Her independence is a beautiful thing. Her independence is a gift to us. She's not needy anymore. And that's how we tend to think about our neediness. Independence is good and neediness is bad. We operate that way in life even still, right? And we can approach God that way. Independence is good, neediness is bad. Our passage this morning is ultimately about our neediness. This is Luke chapter 9. I'm going to start um, just ahead of our primary text, read just a little bit after our primary text to give some context, beginning in Luke, uh, Luke verse 7. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard all about what... Uh, all excuse me, heard all about all that was happening. And he was perplexed. Because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John, I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done, and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned, it, crowds learned it, they followed him and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who, he, who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away and the twelve came and said to him, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. They said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so, and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. 
And what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say, Elijah. And others, uh, that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. The word of the Lord. Father, we do in fact thank you for your word. And as we come before it this morning, oh how needy we are. It is the one thing we need and can count on. So would you speak to us by your Holy Spirit through your word this morning. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's look at this passage uh, through three headings this morning. I want to look at it through the different uh, people in this account. So let's look at it through the lens of the crowds, through the lens of the disciples, and through the lens of Jesus. First, let's talk about the crowds. All right, what's going on in this passage? At the very beginning of Luke chapter 9, Jesus sent out the 12 apostles to go out and to do ministries, to go preach and heal, and they go out and they do that. And then in verse 10 of our passage, Jesus and the apostles are circling back together after they had been sent out on this brief missionary journey. And then they, they try to withdraw to be alone to just get some time together. Which, as a quick aside, this is a great window into just the, the humanity and the relational nature of Jesus with his disciples and how he did things. He sends them out on this bowl, this big missionary excursion. Then they, they came back and they needed some downtime to come and process. Which we could all probably learn something from that, right? Myself included. They're looking for some downtime. They need to think about what they just did. But they don't get that downtime. They don't get the downtime. Um, have you ever gotten home after a long day and, um, just re- and you were maybe on the drive home thinking, I cannot wait to get home because I've got this leftover food in the fridge and I want to sit down and I want to watch an episode of Sports Center or Seinfeld or fill in the blank and I just want to zone out because I've been going nonstop all day and I need a good, like, you know, just give me 30 minutes. 30 minutes to just zone out when I get home this afternoon. And you, and you sit down and maybe you get partially there and then all of a sudden you hear a knock on the door. You're like, oh. And maybe it's, you know, four wonderful kids that, that want to play and come into your house and take it over. Or maybe it's uh, a friend that, that randomly stops by. Or maybe something unexpected comes up. Um, and it just totally interrupts this, this, this um, alone time, this downtime that you were seeking after. When I'm in those situations, I'm not always the most welcoming person. Look at the crowds in verse 11. When the crowds learned it, where Jesus was going, he was going off with the disciples. What did they do? They followed him. The crowds interrupted him. And how did Jesus respond to these crowds interrupting his downtime with the disciples? Look at verse 11. And he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. In the midst of being interrupted, Jesus welcomes, he speaks, and he heals. Um, It's it's been said before that interruptions, we often think about in in a ministry context especially, that there can be interruptions in ministry. But it's been said that interruptions don't hinder ministry. Interruptions are ministry. That certainly seems to be the approach of Jesus. And we can even hear that and see that in the text. Like, yes, I agree with that completely. But then we think about our own lives, and that's just so, so hard in practice. I'll never forget when we first moved to Greenville, we were 
very new to town and uh, we moved over the summer and it was early in the fall, kind of this time of year and we were new to our neighborhood and still very much you know, trying to make friends and kind of learn our way around. My family and I went out on a walk one day. We ended up running into some friends um, that we were just starting to get to know. They were hanging out in their front yard and so we start talking and none of this is prearranged. We start talking to them. Our kids start playing. We end up hanging out in the backyard for a little while. And then before we knew it, um, all of us were inside their homes, sitting on their couch, watching multiple hours of college football. And so we ended up spending like the entire afternoon with these people. And that may not sound uh, like a big deal. That may sound very normal to you, but it was totally unplanned. We did not, we did not ask if we could come over and, and totally dominate their afternoon. We just kind of stopped by and it turned into this big thing. But this family welcomed us. They welcomed these unannounced guests and just let us be with them for the entire afternoon. What does Jesus do with interruptions? He embraces interruptions for, as opportunities to welcome others. And look at the passage. As the day drags on, we see that he doesn't just welcome with lip service, with words. Um, these people have real tangible needs. Um, at the beginning of the passage, it says that these crowds came to him that needed healing. Um, and so what does he do? He meets that need. He, he says he cures them. And then the main event of this passage is their need for what? Their need for food. They need a meal, and he provides it. And we'll look at how Jesus provides that meal in a moment. Um, but do you see how Jesus, he doesn't just look past our physical needs... He doesn't, he doesn't just over-spiritualize everything and ignore those very real, felt, human um, needs that we have. He, he, sees, he sees those. He cares for us in those things. Sick people with uh, physical ailments, hurting, pain, needy, hungry people coming in large numbers to Jesus. He has such compassion. Compassion on their whole person. Meets them in their neediness and welcomes them. How do you think about your own neediness? How do you think about it? It's difficult to admit our neediness. I know my default mode can sort of operate in life as though life is just this progression towards greater independence where every step, every move just has to be like greater and greater of like controlling of the variables and kind of working out our plans and all that, whether it's, you know, our financial plans or plans for family or kids or relationships or future or work or whatever it may be. And sort of progress and moving forward in life means, um, the, you know, sort of greater independence, less neediness to where we can get to a point eventually where we just don't need anything or anyone. We've just got it. I've just found myself thinking in that mindset so often. But then eventually you come to the end of yourself, right? And you realize that, that that's not possible and you're forced to cry out. And it, sometimes it's the thing we fear most. But it can also be the thing that's most freeing because that's where Jesus meets us. Where we come to the end of ourselves and we cry out to him and he meets us. Not in our having it all under control, but in our weakness and need. And that is something beautiful about Jesus. As you read about his life in the Gospels, he is always moving towards the needy. Always moving towards those who are really in need. And actually his strongest rebukes, his strongest words are for those who don't think they're needy. It's so upside down for us. So the crowds, what do they do? They interrupt. They bring their needs before Jesus. What do we see when we look at the disciples? Look at verse 12. Now the day began to wear away and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. 
They said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. Thus we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down, groups of about 50 each. And they did so and, they, and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he, spoke the lo- then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. Looking at this through the lens of the disciples, what does this say about the disciples? A couple things. First, it shows us that they, they had a very normal human perspective about all this. They had a very normal human perspective. They make this observation. It's one that you and I would make, right? Huge crowds, hungry, tired people. Hey, Jesus, can we wrap up this ministry event and let them go find some food and a place to stay because it's been a long day and they're getting really hungry and we don't have the food here? Just totally normal way, right, to think about this situation. But then in just, just beautiful Jesus-like way, he, says, he tells them, give, them, give them something to eat. Just, no, give them something to eat. And what do they say? Yeah, we'd be glad to, except we don't have enough food. Five loaves, two fish, that's not going to be enough. Unless, this is like going to take a massive Costco run if we're going to take care of all these people. Again, very normal human perspective. And when it comes down to it, they're absolutely right. They're right. Um, they cannot make this little bit of food suddenly be enough for all these people. They can't. They're limited. They're finite. They can't do it. All right, so how does Jesus meet them In this very normal human perspective, Jesus uses them to do the impossible. What does he do? He tells them to divide into groups of 50, divide the crowd into groups of 50. They do it. He blesses this small amount of food. And then what does Jesus do with the food? What does he do with the food? Look at the text. He doesn't go out and distribute it to the crowds by himself. Verse 16, then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. Jesus could have easily, you know, walked through the crowds, handed the food out on his own, and, and it would have been just as miraculous. Um, but that's not the way that Jesus did ministry here. He invites these disciples who had very limited human perspective, who were weak and needy. They didn't fully get Jesus. Um, they didn't fully understand what his kingdom was about. They didn't have a fully developed theology. They didn't have a perfect plan. Made all kinds of mistakes as they tried to follow him. But he uses these types of people to do this big, beautiful kingdom work. Tim Chester, who wrote the book, A Meal with Jesus, that much of this series is structured around, says this. He says, when it comes right down to it, the disciples can't provide for the people. They have the power of Jesus, but it's his power. They share the ministry of Jesus, but it's his ministry. One of the psalms that we looked at early in our days as a new church, this is multiple facilities ago. We, we, we measure our time as a church by buildings we've met in. This is, this is meeting place one. We talked about this. Um, psalm 127 was one of the passages we looked at. Listen to the first two verses of Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. In vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early or go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Unless God is at work, our work is in vain. Unless God multiplies the food, we're not going to have enough. Um, The disciples were utterly dependent on Jesus in their ministry. They could not do this on their own, and Jesus 
loves to use people like that to serve him. And I don't know how that hits you this morning. Uh, But if you feel needy, uh, inadequate, like you just don't have it in you to do great things for God. You want to do great things for God. You just don't feel like you have it in you. Then you're right where you need to be. Jesus uses needy, inadequate, even ill-equipped people to do big, beautiful, impossible kingdom things. How? How is that? It's his power working through us, not our own. Aaron and I have recently started watching um, some Formula One racing. You might be familiar with this. There's a show about it on Netflix. Um, So Formula One is the um, highest class of international car racing. And the investment in these cars and the technology behind these cars is absolutely amazing. I'm not like a car person, but this is fascinating. Um, there's basically on each team, there's, a, there's an entire crew that monitors like every data point in these F1 cars. And then there's the driver themselves, which if you look at the driver sitting in the seat with the steering wheel, it's not like a normal steering wheel. It basically looks like they're holding a computer screen with all these buttons and readings and things like that. Um, and these F1 cars, they go so fast. Uh, apparently the fastest clocked race speed of an F1 car is 256 miles per hour. 256 miles per hour, that's roughly three and a half times faster than we drive on the highway. But, but picture this image of the driver sitting um, in that car that's going 256 miles per hour. What is the driver doing? He's sitting. He's literally sitting in a chair while this car is going 256 miles per hour. He is flying around the track because of how powerful the car is. Uh, Jesus is so powerful. He's so powerful and we are so weak and so limited in what we're able to do. But he's never asked us to do anything out of our own strength for him. What does he say to us? He says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. Uh, The Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. For the sake of Christ, and I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then... I am strong. Um, We shouldn't be surprised or ashamed of our neediness, our weakness, our dependency, because that is exactly, that's actually how God made us. And he loves the way he made us. That's exactly where Jesus meets us and uses us. The disciples had no idea how to feed these crowds. And they couldn't have if it was left up to them. But Jesus uses his power through them to do big, beautiful kingdom work. There's so much neediness in this passage. Crowds of disciples. Let's look closely at Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus. Um, It's interesting how this account of Jesus feeding 5,000 is framed in the context of Luke chapter 9. See, on the front end, Herod is trying to figure out who Jesus is. I love it that it says this. It says he's perplexed. He's perplexed. No categories for Jesus. We can't figure him out. He's perplexed. Some are saying it's John who's come back from the dead. Some are saying it's Elijah. Some are saying it's a prophet of old. He cannot figure out who Jesus is. He wants to see. He wants to learn more. And if you look at the passage right after ours, after he fed the 5,000, Jesus and his disciples, he says, who do the crowds say that I am? 
And they, they answer almost in the exact same way. Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say a prophet of old. The crowds are wondering, the crowds are perplexed. And Jesus asks them directly, okay, great, yeah, yeah, I've heard that. What about you? Who do you say that I am? Peter says, the Christ of God. First confession, first inkling that this is the Messiah. That he's greater than just a prophet. There's something more here. They're beginning to understand. They don't have a full grasp of it yet. They're beginning to understand very slowly about who Jesus is. They're beginning to see that he's the Messiah. And he has just shown them in the most tangible way with the feeding of the 5,000. Again, Tim Chester says this. He says, taking, thanking, breaking, giving, the same words in that order. Luke is making a connection. Jesus is the Messiah who provides for God's people and hosts God's great banquet. He's, that's what he's revealing. He's revealing who he really is. He's the Messiah who meets all the needs of the crowds as they arise in this passage. He meets the, the needs of the hurting, the weary, the hungry crowds. He meets the needs of the dependent disciples who can't figure out how to feed all these people, how to do ministry on their own. But all of this is pointing, as great as this is, all of this is pointing towards Jesus meeting a much greater need in all of us. The need for our sins to be forgiven so that we can be one with him. And this massive meal for the thousands is a glimpse of how Jesus meets us in our sin. And this is something really essential to understand if you are here considering the claims of Jesus. Our greatest need, our greatest problem is that our hearts have turned away from God. Rather than um, doing life His way, our natural, fallen, broken, sinful, rebellious tendency is to turn away from Him and to do life our way and not His way. We are rebels against God at our core. It's been this way since Genesis chapter 3 when sin entered the world. It infected all of us. Our deepest need is for our sin and our rebellion to be dealt with. And as hard as we try, we cannot fix this on our own. But we try to. We try all the time, all these different ways. Sometimes we feel like there are seasons of life where we just need to be really good in order to make up for maybe a season of life where we were really bad. And, it, and, it, and it's sort of the equation is like time plus me doing good things is going to make up for a bad season of my life, a rebellious season. And maybe, maybe you've been operating that, you know, for year, operating that way for years, just trying to sort of run from a, a really rebellious season in your life by atoning for it, by doing good things. Um, or maybe, you know, if we're feeling insecure about whether we're good enough, whether or not we measure it, we start looking, you know, horizontally to our right and our left and think, okay, look, okay, maybe I'm not perfect, but, you know, at least I didn't do this thing, or at least I'm not like this. And so we kind of start comparing to other people around us. We think, yeah, I think like, okay, I think I'm good. I think I've got it. Um, none of that's going to last. None of that's going to last. Um, in the same way that the crowds couldn't heal themselves, same way the disciples, they couldn't create enough food for the masses, we can't fix our own sin problem. We are 100% needy for Jesus to help us with our sin. And guess what? He loves to help us. He loves to come and help us. Jesus did not begrudgingly come to save us. He was not exasperated with us and tired of us and, and just worn out by our neediness. That's not, he wasn't just like, okay, fine, guys, I'll come, fine. You just brought me into myself, I'll, I'll go help you. That's not how he approached us. He came to rescue us because he loves us. 
Greater love has no one than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Um, Jesus sees you in your need. Whatever those needs are this morning, he sees you in your need. He sees you in your helplessness. He sees you in your sin with no way out. And as he sees you, he looks at you with love. Warm-hearted. With love. He doesn't disdain you in your neediness. He loves you in your neediness and He invites you to Himself to come and find wholeness, to have every need met in Him. He says in John's Gospel, I am the bread of life. He says it about Himself. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. These crowds were hungry. And they fed Him. They fed them. But eventually they were going to leave, right? And, and the next day would come and they would get hungry again. They would always need more food. But Jesus says to us, I am the one who can fill you and satisfy you in such a way where you will never be hungry again. You'll never be hungry again. I can fill you completely. And he gives himself to us. He meets those needs for us in such abundance. He does more than just the bare minimum. Look at verse 17. And they all ate and were satisfied. What was left over was picked up. Twelve baskets of broken pieces. He gave so much that there were leftovers. And these leftovers are a sign that there's more feasting to come. Again, Tim Chester says this. The feeding of the 5,000 people was not the full deal, but it was a glimpse of it. There's more food at the end than at the beginning. Isn't that amazing? There's more food at the end than at the beginning. This has the makings of a perpetual feast. And friends, Jesus invites you to that feast this morning. Come to Him in all your neediness, all your weariness, your brokenness, your sin. Come to Him. Bring those all to Him. He's the one that will truly satisfy you right now in this life and in the life in the world to come at the table of His perpetual feast. Let me pray for us. Father, we do thank You for the good news that while we were needy, while we were yet sinners, while we were hungry, while we were sick, while we were wounded, while we were dead in our sin, You looked at us in love and You sent Jesus to come and be our rescuer because He loved us so much. To come and live the life we should have lived. Just per- living perfectly. Thoughts, words, deeds, everything. He did it perfectly. Living righteously on our behalf. And going to the cross on our behalf. Pay for all of our sins, past, present, and future. Dying the death we deserve to die. So then Jesus, we might be righteous and, and fully forgiven. Having our ultimate need met. To be one with Christ. We praise you for that. Oh, how our hearts need to be reminded of that today. Would you meet us with this good news in our need? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.